Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I don't just believe shit I hear on podcasts, and you shouldn't either. Please be skeptical and confirm information before sharing it. Please also be advised that I do swear and I don't take the time to bleep it out. So, listener discretion is advised. Managing about a hundred homes, the governor of Missouri declared a state of emergency. Very serious situation here in Hawaii earlier this evening. The uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. Sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas. Hi, I'm Ruby, and this is Living Through Extinction, a short to the point podcast with science, skepticism, environment, wildlife, and ways we as people can be better for future generations. If you have joined me before, then thank you so much for returning. If this is your first time listening to Living Through Extinction, welcome. I hope you find it both fun and informative. For today's skeptical segment, I would like to talk about ear candling. If you don't know what it is, good. Don't fucking do this shit. The claims that are made by sellers of ear candles? They say it treats clogged ears, earaches, bringing in the ears, sinus infections, allergies, will reverse hearing loss, sharpen the senses, and all sorts of bullshit. People are led to believe that the candle is somehow pulling stuff out through the ear canal. I'm sorry if you've done this, and you really believe that toxins were pulled out of your ear. It's just not the case. Ear candles do not even make a complete seal. In fact, tests have shown that they don't produce any negative pressure, so that means there is no suction. They are fooling people with the same method that those foot patches for the bottom of your feet use. The patches turn black overnight, which they would do if you attach them to any damp, warm surface for the night. People are fooled into believing that the black on the patches came from them, that it's toxins being somehow magically pulled out of their bodies. It's not. The ear candles melt down and end up with a blackened, brownish, waxy nub on the bottom end. They're gross-looking, and the grossness adds to the convincing that the person has pulled something bad out of them. Surprise, surprise! Not. When the residue on the end of the candle is tested, there is no earwax or any other strange substance. It's simply made up of burnt beeswax. The appearance of it is specifically designed to fool you into thinking otherwise. If you doubt me, good! That's what this segment's all about. Test one for yourself on a bottle. That yucky end you get when you burn it in your ear is exactly the same as when it's burned over a bottle. I guarantee you it is not sucking toxins out of the bottle any more than it can be doing so out of your ear. And not only is it a scam, but it's a dangerous one. Hot wax can drip and injure the ear or face, or worse, damage the ear canal or drum. Using ear candles can push your natural earwax in deeper, compacting it, and either making your current problem worse or creating an actual problem where there may not have been one before. You can get ash on the eardrum. Some people have developed painful infections of their outer ear canal called otitis externa as a result of candling. And guess what? It's actually dangerous to hold a lit flame close to your head and face. You could very well be putting your hearing in danger for something that does not do what you think it does. And to people who do candling on their young children and influencers who promote candling on young children, fuck you. The natural squirminess of kids makes it much more risky than performing it on an adult. Keep candling the hell away from your kids. If your ears are plugged in a way that requires treatment, then have them flushed by a doctor. Stop listening to fucking influencers. Do try these things on something other than yourself first, or especially a child. Be safe and be skeptical, damn it.
Remember when that Blackest of Black came out and all the controversy over who had the right to use it? I must have mentioned it on the show at some point. Well, now we have the whitest white. But rather than controversy and artists and rights to color battles, this new shade of white is expected to do good. It may be available for purchase in the next year or two and is being made available to the general public right from the start. The research that led to the discovery of this whitest white and its attributes was funded by Purdue University's Cooling Technologies Research Center and the Air Force's Scientific Research Office. It was published in the journal ACS Applied Materials and Interfaces. White paints currently in use, while heating up a lot less than some other colors, still warm up when in the sun. The trick with this whitest white is that it reflects 98.1% of sunlight, actually keeping surfaces more than 7 degrees Celsius cooler than their surroundings. The reason? It emits heat faster than it can absorb it. This has been a goal forever, and it's a really big deal that they figured this one out. The main component in this color is barium sulfate, which is a well-known UV reflecting compound and is already used in oil paints, cosmetics, photo paper, and more. They took this compound and did something different than with normal paints. They used particles of the compound in different sizes in order to scatter and reflect different wavelengths so that altogether they would reflect the entire spectrum of sunlight. So far it's shown to have a cooling power of 113 watts per square meter. On a rooftop of a 1,000 square foot home, that will translate to more than is used by most residential central air systems. So this is a paint that can help combat global warming. This combined with some of the latest window tech, and homes could end up being quite cool with minimal interference required. It's hypothesized that it could reduce air conditioning use by up to 70% in hot cities like Reno, Nevada and Phoenix, Arizona. When extreme models were constructed, where 1% of the Earth's surface was painted in this white, the impact on global warming was actually quite huge. When they say extreme, however, they mean that. They're talking about if all buildings, roads, and parking lots were painted white, among other things. Doesn't that sound kind of freaky? There was, is, a lot to this, and there's plenty to read out there if it interests you. This is progress towards lessening our carbon footprint for sure. If we care at all about future generations, this should be standard in the near future. My only issue is the thought of all houses someday being white. That would be so weird. Raptor species in the northern Australian savanna have been dubbed firehawks for their unusual way of using existing fires. Australian indigenous people sang about them. Their stories had the birds as the ones who introduced fire to man. But researchers have validated it. Black kites, whistling kites, and brown falcons have all been observed spreading fires in order to smoke out prey. Other than songs and stories, the first recorded observation of the theft occurred in 1963. One of these raptors grabbed a brand from a cooking fire and was seen dropping it in some grass about a kilometer away. The problems with them spreading fires became known and farmers began illegally shooting the birds when they would see them near their property. They didn't want to risk a fire being brought to or near their livestock. More recently, deliberate study and observation was conducted and a paper was published in the Journal of Ethnobiology. What we've learned, thanks to this group of researchers, is that this is an intentional hunting technique. The birds, sometimes on their own and sometimes in groups, will be attracted to investigate when there is smoke. They swoop down, grab burning sticks in their talons, and carry them away across roads, rivers, and even man-made fire breaks. They drop the brands and wait for a fire or a smolder to begin. Then, as insects, grasshoppers, and other invertebrates begin hopping away or flying up to evade the smoke or fire, they swoop down and scoop them up. Today, rangers take these birds into account when planning for fire control. 
Last May, the researchers were going back for more in-depth studies, so I can't wait for the next paper to come out on these interesting habits. Last week, my research segment was about keeping things cool for various reasons. That included keeping ourselves cool in order to be comfortable. This week, I'm going to talk about staying warm. Where I live, a house may not have air, but it's sure as hell going to have a furnace or forced air central system with heat. In fact, that's me. There was no air conditioning when we moved in on January 1st, 2000, and it was a nightmare to even open any of the windows. But you can bet your ass there was a furnace. No heat would be a total deal breaker in Manitoba. We don't still live like that, by the way. Once the kids came along, windows all got replaced, and we put an old school air conditioner in on the first floor. Basic, but comfortable. Today, if the air were to go out, we'd deal. If the heat were to go out when it's required, we would totally bail. Turn off the water, drain the toilet, pack up the bags, off to grandma's. I say that part about the toilet because my sister-in-law's house once lost power when she was out of town for an extended period during a brutal cold snap and the toilet water froze and cracked open their fucking toilet. That's what they came home from their holidays to. Since then, I'm always paranoid about being away for more than a few days in the winter. Anyway, the point is, heat is really fucking important here. Our options tend to be gas and electric, and both have bonuses and drawbacks. My furnace is a forced air gas furnace. It's the only gas appliance in my home. Though I guess there's one other option, but that's for extremely well-off people only. Someone out there probably has been able to afford to set up and acquire their electricity via geothermal processes. That's obviously the ideal situation for our environment, but the installation is a very labor-intensive and expensive. I talked about geothermal energy on episode 31. So sticking with gas and electric, that's what the average person has heating their homes and businesses, though I do know some that still use wood. Beginning with gas, natural gas is one of the cleanest burning of the fossil fuels, and gas furnaces tend to be cheaper to run than electric ones. If the electricity in your area is acquired from more damaging fossil fuels, the natural gas may very well be the cleaner choice, even with its emissions. While electricity doesn't emit anything, how it is made can cause emissions that range from almost zero to extremely high depending on the process and or fuel. There is also lots of natural gas left, giving us several more decades to come up with and implement something else. Unfortunately, natural gas is mainly made up of methane and hydrocarbons. It also only occurs beneath the Earth's surface, so it must be extracted, usually with the use of heavy machinery, which also uses fossil fuels. During extraction, some of this gas is lost into the atmosphere. In 2015, there was a report put out by the Environmental Defense Fund that stated, quote, Natural gas released during the extraction process may negate much of its clean burning benefit over other fossil fuels. Unquote. So that sounds like a bummer. One of the ways to get at the natural gas these days is fracking. This has negative effects on the environment in all sorts of ways. The New York Times reported radiation being present in the hydraulic fracturing wastewater that was released into the rivers in Pennsylvania, and there are studies being conducted on the effects of fracking on groundwater pollution. The transportation of natural gas also has its own problems. It generally goes through pipelines which do leak. About 2-2.5% to of the gas in these pipelines leaks into the environment, and that's when there isn't a major break. Putting these pipelines in has also caused habitat loss and fragmentation, and it's affected movement, migration, and reproduction of all sorts of creatures. When not traveling through the pipelines, natural gas is moved with trucks and trains, burning even more fuels. And there are safety issues with natural gas. An improperly maintained gas furnace may malfunction and release carbon monoxide into the home. Between 1999 and 2010, there were 5,149 unintentional carbon monoxide poisoning deaths in the U.S. Gas is not an option for air conditioning, 
so your heat and air would not be able to come from the same source if that's what you wanted. If building, check the plans for the area where you live. Someone in the UK may not want to build with a gas furnace right now because the UK has proposed banning fossil fuel-based heating by 2025. If this were to go through, what would one do? California, Washington, and Massachusetts are also trying to phase out natural gas, though I'm sure almost zero of it goes to California for heating purposes. If you are wanting to make a switch over to gas, it can be extremely expensive if your home is not already connected to a main line. So, gas has benefits, but quite a few drawbacks as well. Electricity is often cleaner than gas, as it can be obtained through natural means. When obtained via other fuels, however, natural gas is always cleaner. We can obtain our electricity by harnessing the energy of moving water, blowing wind, the heat within the earth, or even the sun itself which gave just about everything on this planet its energy to begin with. Homes with the opportunity to use these forms of electricity will have a much smaller footprint. No greenhouse gases or environmental hazards are emitted in the use of electricity, so if you can avoid putting out emissions in its creation as well, that's great. Now I have to mention that using water and wind can have their own environmental issues. Dams and rivers change landscapes, as does land clearing for windmills. Dams also have been shown to hamper both migration and reproduction. Nothing will ever be perfect, but if the air is our primary concern, water and wind are still a very good way to go. Of course, these aren't always options. I live in a country which is full of lakes and rivers. There were always friends and family members working at one dam or another. As a small child, I thought everyone got their electricity the same way we did, or at least had the option. I didn't realize how much more water we have available for these things than other land masses in the world. We are very privileged in many parts of Canada when it comes to lakes and rivers. A huge portion of the world would not be able to provide electricity in this way. 67% of electricity generated in the US comes from fossil fuels such as natural gas, coal and petroleum. 33% from coal alone, which is one of the worst when it comes to the environment. In fact, if both mining and combustion are taken into account and the effects combined, then coal is the most polluting of all fossil fuels. So, if your main concern is cost, then gas may be the choice for you. If your main concern is the environment and your electricity comes from dirty sources, then again, gas may be for you. If your main concern is the environment and your electricity comes from clean sources, then you may want to consider electric. There are different variables and different needs, so nobody can really tell you which is best. Obviously, if everyone could easily afford it, geothermal would totally be the way for us all to go. But that's not realistic for most people. Know your options and do what's best for you where you live. I always wanted one of those meters with the app for your phone so I could see in real time the energy going up and down as we use things. Are those even available here? They must be. Not that I'd be able to afford to install something like that anyway, but I would love it. Though I could see myself getting obsessed with it and not necessarily in a good way. Maybe someday we'll be able to flip our exteriors from white in the summer to black in the winter to make the most of absorption and reflection. Who knows? Maybe someday everything will be painted with that whitest white. Though I would definitely find all white or all black houses in any neighborhood weird and creepy. More so the white. Black might be kind of cool. I think one of the best hints to keep in mind is that just like we can be comfortable with our homes warmer than we keep them in the summer, we can be comfortable at a cooler temperature than we keep our homes in the winter. A change of just a few degrees can make a surprising difference in your energy usage. We can thank computers for speeding up many things. Drug research has been speeding up in the last couple years with the use of computers and finding molecules which can be folded into the best shapes for attaching to disease-causing proteins. If a molecule will not bind to the protein, 
then it's not going to be of any use. A single molecule can be folded in thousands of ways, so if a drug is discovered that may be helpful, the goal is to see if one of its possible configurations will bind to the protein of the disease it's being created for. Reading about this, I realized that all a virus probably has to do to become resistant to a drug is to change its shape just enough so the drug's molecules can no longer bind to it. No wonder it can happen so quickly. And that's why we got to stop these things from reproducing as quickly as possible so they can't mutate, they can't have those mutations that change them until we can annihilate the damn thing. Thousands of drugs and chemicals are now entered into computers that have the ability to determine all of the different configurations for each one. One system I read about is called Geomol, and it can process all of a molecule's possible shapes in mere seconds. The ability to plug in the required molecule shape for binding and let the computer find matches is narrowing the molecule options down quickly and dramatically. This seriously speeds things up. Of course, not all matches will be usable. Some might be acidic and non-injectable. Some may not do to the proteins what we need it to do. Once the correct shapes are found, then they have to be tested for absorption, distribution, metabolism, excretion, and don't forget toxicology factors and side effects. But this narrowing down makes it so they have to go through thousands of less options in their search for that one that will both bind to and correct the problem cells in our body. This will inevitably speed up the discovery of new life-saving methods. There was research on this process presented in December 2021 at the Conference on Neural Information Processing Systems. And I'm done for today. And I'm actually not going to be recording again now for several weeks. I hope this wasn't too outdated. Thank you for listening. May your health and sanity be replenished daily. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro-outro for the show. And thank you to Kathy Rayner and Paul Palmer for the musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I hope you will join me again in two weeks for episode 56 of Living Through Extinction. If you enjoy Living Through Extinction and would like to support the show, the best ways to do so are to subscribe, write, comment, and like positive comments on your favorite podcast player, or to follow, like, and share on all the social medias. The show can be found under Living Through Extinction on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok, and under LTE Pod on Twitter. There's also a Patreon, but I recently found out that people couldn't find it, so the link for it has been added to my social media pages. If you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or corrections, please email them to livingthroughextinction at gmail.com or message me through one of the social medias. Sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas. Apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear.